So I've just started out season two of this podcast with a series of conversation with Olivier Rustong about the key moments, campaigns, and runways that happened during his decade of overseeing all of the different collections at Balmain. Today's episode of the Atelier Balmain returns to the house founder, Pierre Balmain. In fact, we're planning to build a bit on the story that we told in this podcast's very first episode, back during last year's first season. We spoke then about Pierre Balmain's beginnings, and among the many aspects of youth and education that we talked about, we mentioned that Balmain's very first moments in Paris, way back in the 1930s, when he arrived to the French capital to study architecture and work as an intern inside an architect's studio. Those days didn't last very long, since what the young Pierre Balmain was absolutely determined to do was to design clothing, not buildings. And as we discussed, he very soon worked his way into some of the finest couture houses of the day. But Pierre Balmain's youthful passion for architecture and the early lessons that he learned seemed to have stayed with him for his entire life, influencing his eye as a designer and his couture creations, and helping to ensure that Balmain was a distinctive couture house from the very first days. For example, several of the iconic elements that form the equation behind Pierre Balmain's legendary post-war new French style, like, you know, the strict tailoring, the cinched waist, those strong shoulders, that perfect pleating, those elaborate volumes. Well, all of that mastery of construction, all of that structure, can really be traced back to the designer's early training as an architect. Balmain himself often stressed the connection between the very two different arts that he loved, noting, for example, that there is definitely a close relationship between the work of an architect and that of a couturier. The fact that one builds in stone and the other relies on muslin, that one aims to last for centuries and the other plans for just one season, these do not constitute essential differences. And Balmain summed up his incomparable flair for ensuring that his perfectly tailored Balmain creations closely follow the curves of a moving body by famously proclaiming, Dressmaking is the architecture of movement. So it's clear that Pierre Balmain never totally abandoned that architectural obsession of his youth. And his lifelong passion for engineering and construction also pushed him to construct and continually adapt his offices and his residences. For example, inside Balmain's historic flagship at the number 44 Rue François-Premier, Pierre Balmain expertly melded together familiar Parisian Hausmannian codes with Baroque elements and the latest innovations in post-war design. And in his personal life, even though the designer inhabited many different addresses over the years, well, none better reflects his deep love for architecture than his Villa Balmain. And it's Villa Balmain that we're going to discuss today. So recently, Balmain partnered with the Cuban artist Alexander Arechea for a special installation that's focusing on Villa Balmain, taking place at Miami's Super Blue Galleries. For Miami's upcoming Art Week, which takes place during the first week of December, RHA has created an impressive, large-scale, and immersive environment that explores Villa Balmain and riffs on some special Balmain house codes as well. Hello, I'm John Gilligan. For today's episode of L'Atelier Balmain, we'll be speaking with Alexander Achea about his very special virtual and physical art creations and how Pierre Balmain's architectural universe has inspired him. 
I am Olivier Roustin. Welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. Bienvenue à l'atelier Balmain. Bienvenue à l'atelier Balmain. So before we begin talking with Alexander Achea about his exciting new creation for Miami's Art Week, let's quickly return to Villa Balmain. Villa Balmain was constructed on the Italian island of Elba in the late 1950s by the famed Italian architect Leonardo Ricci. Ricci worked closely with Balmain to conceive of an extraordinary, almost spaceship-like structure that was perched high atop the island's lush green hills. Ricci's design plays with three superimposed elliptical shapes that make one think of a deck of cards that has been spun out, with all parts rotating along the same pivot. For the final touch, Ricci then added one perfectly arched tie rod that springs from Villa Balmain and then plants itself squarely in the villa's surrounding artificial moat. Ricci and Balmain's astounding creation has been compared to a few other iconic 20th century modern homes, including Lina Bobardi's glass house in Sao Paulo, the Robert Llewellyn Wright house that Frank Lloyd Wright built for his son in Bethesda, Maryland, and the famous Villa Malaparte on the island of Capri. So each of these very impressive modern structures, well, of course, they're very different from one another, but they do share one distinctive design goal. Since all of these buildings could be seen as being engaged in an unusual type of back-and-forth dialogue with the surrounding landscape and nature. And it's Villa Balmain's unique blending together of its exterior and interior spaces that seems to have been what clearly inspired the Cuban artist Alexander Achea for what he has labeled his hexagonal garden, his installation at Miami's Super Blue Galleries. For that exhibit, Arachea has transported Villa Balmain to the metaverse, creating a large-scale, immersive environment that totally envelopes Ricci's construction. So when visitors first slip on their headsets, those metaverse visitors will first spy an enormous golden ring that's been placed by Archea around Ricci's iconic structure. And as they approach, that ring begins to reveal the hexagonal patterns of a honeycomb. The honeycombs are there because, well, because Alexander Archea was inspired by the lush gardens of Balmain's Island Retreat, where Pierre Balmain grew a multitude of exotic plants and flowers, many of which he had gathered during his constant travels to all corners of the globe. So Arachea's creations riff on that beautiful garden and some of Balmain's most important house codes. From there, he begins to dream up a surprising new environment that has been constructed in part by the bees that are pollinating the lush vegetation that surrounds Villa Balmain. And as those bees constantly buzz between the garden, the golden ring, and the villa's interior, Arachea's fantastic bees are not carrying pollen. Instead, they transport an array of precious stones, and they end up depositing those dazzling gems on honeycombs that the artist has placed on the ceiling of the villa. And as these fill up, those honeycombs eventually become impressive patterns that eventually form large masks. So, <laughs> it might be hard to grasp all of these art and architectural descriptions, and I'm sure I'm not doing the best job at relaying what Archaea has created, but we've got you covered. We're hoping that as you listen to this podcast, you'll click to view the episode's web pages, which hold a selection of pictures and videos of both Villa Balmain and Alexandre Achea's creations that were inspired by Villa Balmain.
And as you can easily imagine, Alexander Achea also does a much better job explaining his inspirations and his creations than I can do. So let's stop here, let's go to the interview, and let's let Alexander explain his artwork in his own words. A few days ago, I called Alexander Archea and we spoke about his hexagon gardens. So let's listen to a tape of that call. Hey, Alexander, how are you? This is John calling from Paris. Hi, John. How are you? It's so good to hear from you. So I'm really glad we could talk this morning, and I know you're busy as hell, and you got some stuff to do today, so I'm glad you could fit us into the day. And what I was really hoping is that you could walk us a little bit through what's going to be happening in Miami this month. All right. And even before we get there, I guess we should talk a little bit about you, about what brought you to this moment. Who were you just a decade ago, where you came from, what's going on? I know you were originally from Cuba, right? I'm originally from Cuba, yes. Uh, Well, a decade ago, I was in Madrid. Okay. uh, Trying to to launch my career uh, for the second time because I have been collaborating with a group of Cuban artists on the name of Los Carpinteros. Okay. And um, so in 2003, I decided to take a tour and and do my own thing. And for Mm. that, I decided to move to Madrid. And uh, so a decade ago, I was uh, struggling, trying to make it again, uh, but happy to be doing so. Okay, because what I've seen in a lot of the articles that you've been um, talking about is when you speak about Art Basel, you mentioned that for the last 10, I guess when you first started reinventing or restarting yourself in Madrid, you started what you call the dialogue with architecture. Am I correct? Absolutely. That dialogue has been present throughout my career. And how did that begin? Like what started well, this pathway? Well, you know, is is I I always have to refer to these experiences uh, that you have when you are a, a kid that I think that somehow are like the ones that really ignite that curiosity that I continue having toward architecture. And let's say that I was uh, an art student back in my hometown in Cuba in Trinidad. Uh, in late 80s okay. uh, or yeah, mid 80s, actually. Mm. And um, so I was studying art for the first time at 13 years old. And um, one of the classes of the school take you around the city. And the purpose is for the student to actually make drawings of the buildings that are uh, important in the city. Okay. And um, for me, it was really interesting because what happened is that I grew up precisely in that area where you mm-hmm. can find those magnificent buildings. And, um, you know, my friends live in those, those buildings. Uh, you know, it's like, for me, that is part of my background. But what happened is that when going outside to make those drawings for the first time, uh, you know, you, you try to engage with the buildings and try to make up the better, uh, the best drawing and all that. But at some point, looking at the building that I was drawing, I see my uncle on the roof of that building. My uncle is a carpenter. Oh, wow. uh, he was fixing that building. And that image for me totally transformed everything. Okay. Because I realized that I'm no longer doing a drawing of the building. I own some in some way that building also. Mm. So and that definitely ignite my curiosity for I mean to know more about the building, about the what happened indoors, 
and the history of the building. And that's what I continue doing these days. Okay. Because I saw that you, I mean, you were talking about your, when you were growing up in Trinidad and Cuba, but then you had a moment where you're really interested in the facades of, I guess, the colonial facades of Havana. You were shooting pictures of Absolutely. Corners. That that comes uh, years after, of course. Okay. Uh, you know, my curiosity toward architecture uh, is, is being always there. And there is a moment between 2004 uh, and five that I decided to start taking photographs of corners of buildings. Uh, buildings that are well known in Havana, others that are not, not that known. But mm -hmm. for me, uh, the idea was basically to have a record of whatever happened to the corners of those buildings. And I started that series of photographs just for the sake of, of doing it because okay. I didn't have any plan for that. And I kept doing that for three years or, or four years around that going back to the, those same corners and see what's going on with that specific side of the building and just, uh, you know, just keeping that information in my computer. Mm. Of course, after a while, I have a pile of images <laughs> yeah. that I don't know what to do with them. So I started to like organize them by color, by texture, by year. So mm -hmm. in a way, I, I have this um, sort of um, um, color chart that I have created. Uh, uh -huh. And in yeah. fact, I organized all the information like a chart, I mean, a color chart for myself. And I mean, that's how I started. Then, <laughs> funny enough, one day I opened my, my, you know, one of my hard drives mm -hmm. and I see again all this information. I say, I have to do something with this because I have so much information that it's like, you know, it, be, it will be a waste if I don't right. do something with it. And I decide to start, you know, like designing the face of the city, if such a thing exists. Uh, okay. You know, so it was kind of a, yeah, it was kind of a utopia idea, utopian okay. idea. And, but I started, I started making, uh, you know, I went to Photoshop, starting like, uh, you know, cropping the images, uh, building that sort of face, but then I realized that I was doing actually masks. And then something else is, is like happening with that, that, oh, okay, I'm trying to capture the essence of these buildings through the, by creating a, the identity of the face of the city. But this identity is so elusive that I end up creating masks that somehow they hide again mm. that possibility of creating uh, a face that you can recognize. It's, it's mutating all the time. And then I decide to investigate a little bit more about African masks uh, because I saw it connect totally with that heritage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, I was looking at the mask. You can definitely see some sort of very African-Caribbean roots in the, what you're creating, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. And the colors are vibrant and, you know, but the scratches that tell you the story of that specific wall. But then when I create these compositions of like five or 10 different corners, mm -hmm. it's something that for me is also interesting because you are connecting places that are apart. You mm -hmm. are creating yeah. a, a, a unity through that overlapping of, of images. And this is when things started to change there because then I said, well, I can print these images, which I did, 
but I, I also need something else in order to really enhance this idea of what I'm thinking of connecting different uh, buildings and entities, but at the same time, creating this um, sort of weaving mask, you know? Okay, and I decide that the best way to do is to create tapestries. And it's interesting because I mean, it's a long story and so many dots that you have to connect. I mean, no, it's, it's a, yeah, because I know that what excited the team at Balmain was this, because we'll go more into the project, but what's this incredible synchronicity they had with you from the beginning, because you were so interested in architecture and yes. Balmain wanted to work on a specific architectural theme. And then when they saw the mask, I heard they were just blown away. They loved it. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, um, when I uh, presented the proposal for Balmain, I included the mask as part of like telling Balmain, listen, I, my intention is to produce images with the glass beads. And, uh, but that was not like the final uh, decision for me. It was something that an attempt to, to tell them, listen, it's something like this. But the answer from them was so spectacular. <laughs> like, no, Alex, we love the mass and mm. we think we should go that way. And I was mm. like blown away for that because, uh, you know, I was thinking more like bringing images, different kind of images, but not the mass. But all, all of a sudden we are in front of something that was really magical. Yeah. Uh, that uh, coincidence. So what we so if we want to I'm going to be a little more specific now for the people who are listening to us. What you what you Bauman came to you and asked you to help them create a special immersive experience that lasts just for a few days in Miami for Art Basel. Yes. And it's based on their very important house for them for Villa Bauman. And right. um, you then worked on three different ways of expressing that experience. Now you did a, yes. a virtual reality experience where the participants come in, they put on the headsets, and they enter a 3D universe of the Bauman Villa in Elba. Right. And right. then you created videos of that same experience, but flat videos that'll play on the walls, right? Right, absolutely. And then NFTs as well. Um, so you have a digital, you have a virtual reality, and then... In addition, you've worked on a physical works, physical creations yes. that have also be on display. Am I correct? Maybe you could walk us through. Because I think this is the first time you've done this kind of virtual reality work. Is Absolutely. First time. Okay. And um, I'm really excited. And, okay. you know, uh, before I enter that quickly, I can say that, you know, that approach that I have toward architecture, and I have done so many different projects, and for me, what it is important always is to give the right answer to every new question. And that building at Elba uh, mm. is, the, is the question. And the project that I'm doing is the answer to that question. Okay. And uh, meaning that uh, I have done projects with Coachella. I have done projects with... Uh, uh, in New York, public projects. Yeah, beautiful. What every, you did in Park Avenue was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I did that project on Park Avenue. That was my answer at that time. And I believe that as an artist, when you are in front of new questions, obviously you have to bring a different answer to every question. Uh -huh. And with Villa Balman, uh, when Balman approached me and asked me 
the possibility of interacting with the building. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, initially, I was kind of lost because I didn't know exactly what to do. So, mm -hmm. but when Balmain sent me a video, which is a 3D uh, version of the actual building, I was able to walk through the building and to recognize this amazing uh, structure mm -hmm. uh, done by Richie. And, uh, and, and for me, one of the first thing is like, okay, let's get into the building. What's going on in the building? Because okay. I'm supposed to give an answer or, or create a connection with this. So I'm looking all, uh, to all this uh, neoclassical decoration, mm -hmm. uh, all the information that Pierre Bauman uh, created indoors. And I realized, well, I don't have a, a space here <laughs> where to like actually set any idea mm -hmm. that I want. But at some point I looked up to the ceiling and I said, well, the ceiling is still blank. Mm -hmm. It's still that blank canvas. Perhaps that is, is the way to, to start. And that's, uh, um, but before that, I said, well, let me, let me go back again to the garden. So I walk around the garden, you know, like. Okay, uh, the Villa Balmain Garden. Yeah, yeah. Villa Balmain Garden, trying to understand uh, the relationship between the building and the garden. Okay. And what happened is during the days that Balmain called me, I was already, you know, um, working with ideas of, that relates to uh, bees and honeycombs yeah but nothing nothing finished something that okay. i'm like you know bringing ideas to my mind and walking through the garden i realized oh this is the this is the answer here because definitely balman and richie as our architect mm -hmm. they they saw this relationship why not to enhance that why not to bring the bees that populate the garden to be the actual characters okay. that will work uh, the entire project. And that's when I decide that uh, to create that connection between all the jewelry uh, and the precious stones that Batman work with, mm. they will be the pollen. They will be that moment of fertility that the bees can transport from the garden indoors. But before okay. they go indoors, they have to like organize the whole information uh -huh. in this ring that I created that actually holds the entire house as a kind of a, a of a ring, like you know, like when you uh, just really accept your couple and you offer engagement and okay. you give them the ring in order to make that engagement something real. So okay. I so just to interrupt you, I'm going to say that. To, to, for people who want to visualize this, we're going to have a picture of this of as much as we can of, of your sketches and of your final work. And they can visualize how you conceived a ring that floats around the Villa Balmain. And then from there, I'll let you go back with your bees transporting the jewels. So. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So the bees are now transporting the stone to this mm -hmm. particular uh, ring that I have uh, designed for... Villa Balman, and that will be some kind of a the place for storage in that information. Okay. But from there, the bees are gonna continue the trip indoors, and then I develop this ceiling with this uh, hexagon uh, um, honeycomb, this right? Honeycomb yeah. that is, yeah. uh, I mean, filling the entire ceiling, and the on the bees will come and will fill all the structure 
with these images of the mass that I have created, which I have to say that is a sort of like a version of what I have done previously using corners of buildings of, from uh -huh. Havana. Right now I'm using the corners of the building of Villa Balman. And that's when everything is started to make sense to me. Interesting. So connecting the architecture, connecting the precious stones, the garden. So it's a, it's a full dialogue for me, this collaboration. It's interesting because that's exactly the word that the Balmain team was explaining to me about being a dialogue. And again, like I, I think I used the word already about synchronicity because <laughs> when you came to them with the idea of gems and bees, they were, I think you were both reading each other's thoughts because <laughs> bees were so important to the house. And of course, yes. jewelry is so important to a luxury house. And so you really tied in your Havana to Madrid to last 20 years of, of evolving into art into Balmain's right. evolving. And it's really worked right. together to present this. It will, it, I mean, structure. it worked so beautifully that I couldn't believe because I remember when Balmain sent me a PDF with all the investigation around honeycombs and, and bees that Pierre Balmain have done. In, mm. and, and I couldn't believe it. It's like I, it's like I was that fly on the wall <laughs> picking, picking at a, a Pierre Balmain at some point. And I exactly. said, okay, one day, one day, we'll, we'll go, no, gonna collaborate. <laughs> no, it's amazing. And I, and I saw some of the stuff they sent you, and I'm going to get permission from them to put online. Because it is amazing about your ideas and the bees and the pollen and their ideas about Pierre Balmain and the importance of bees in his design and also the honeycombs and the gems. So we'll put all this information online. And I love that the two different sides from Paris and from Madrid and Havana came together in this one, Absolutely. This one idea. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's one of, of the beauty of this project, you know, how to, to connect and, and do it in a very harmonic way you know mm. it's, you know overlaps uh, nicely so as you constructed this you worked with other partners i know that you had to travel to austria to work with uh, the team in Bregenz to help you construct your honeycombs was it yes uh well lito is uh you know our uh fabricator and uh who ha we have been working with i mean there are so many people involved because i also have to say that before the starting this project I was, um, you know, already like, you know, pitching ideas in order to create NFTs because it's a new world for me. And I started this collaboration with this beautiful musician and we have become really good friends. Mm -hmm. And he is the one guilty somehow or the one to blame for the <laughs> idea of, of this approach to the NFT world. Oh, and okay. the, the, and uh, yes, Ali, which I mean, we have become really, really good friends. Uh, he definitely ignited this. And um, the fact that we are now collaborating with Alito, who is developing now the ring, the ceiling, is something that, I mean, Lito is, is doing an amazing work because we mm. um, did 3D printed the four masks that are going to be shown uh, at Super Blue in Miami. Okay. And they have done an amazing job. They have done an amazing job. They really understood since the beginning uh, Balman's idea, my idea, and we became a, a big team. This is a collaboration that's with great. so many people that's involved. Great. And that's the, the, the beauty of it, again. It's interesting. And then, so you are heading down to Miami very soon, right? I'm heading down like in a couple hours. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And so people who want to see this, it's at 
Can you give information about the gallery and the dates? Yeah, the information about the the dates uh, is uh, November 30th. It's the opening at Super Blue. I, I believe it's 6.30, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I have okay. to check that specific. But yes, my understanding, it's just, it's just like a beehive. It's only been lasting for a couple of days. So it's only just one or two days at Art Basel. Yeah, right? absolutely. One or two days. And uh, okay. yeah, and like you were explaining before, is uh, we're uh, showing the NFTs. We're showing the physical work and we're showing this video that tells the whole story of how the bees uh, transport the stones, the precious stones inside the house and the ring. And I think, I mean, so far I'm really uh, happy mm -hmm. because also the guys, I mean, Lito is working. We also hire another guy who is a genius uh, on uh, 3D uh, design. Oh, okay, He's cool. doing amazing amazing renderings and uh so people will see it it's uh cool. it's, yeah i've seen the initial sketches and i can't wait to see more it sounds amazing <laughs> and then the jewels are from swarovski right the jewels are from swarovski swarovski okay. uh, got involved but main called swarovski and swarovski immediately uh say yes Great. and uh i mean i just to manipulate all these uh stones and glass is uh you know it's, it's a gift you know yeah it's a gift. yeah it is a gift. and it's amazing and you still if you've never really seen villa balmain you've done this all virtually no no never i I've only have seen the 3d version of mm -hmm. it and i love it anyway <laughs> yeah no 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 i can't wait to see it someday myself and um one thing i wanted to say with you before you left i love once you said in an interview that every time you do a big project like this the projects you've done in coachella and park avenue and the last one you did in miami you always walk away with a new changes and new ideas and something that you're going to go forward to in your next projects. Are you feeling the same way as you finish I this totally, project? I totally feel the same way. You know, right now I am at the exhibiting at this space in New Jersey, okay. which is uh, our yard. Oh, yeah, you've done beautiful stuff there. Yeah, Run yeah. by amazing people, great community. Uh, committed to the arts, but co committed to the community and environment. And we have been talking about ideas of possible projects with them. And after this uh, project with Balmain, it totally ignited new ideas that we are now in the process of developing uh, mm. with our yard, which cool. is, makes me really happy how one project connects with the next one and, and we create that larger community that's an artist I always envision to have, you know, mm -hmm. to connect everybody through art. Wow. That for me is, is yeah. always the goal and it's, it's what I, uh, I have envisioned since uh, I was conscious that I wanted to be an artist and that I want to create <laughs> situations that are important for people. Mm. Well, bravo. It looks amazing. I can't wait to see the final product, but for what, it, what I've seen, what your team has shown me, what Balmain has shown me, it looks gonna, it's going to be an amazing couple of days in Miami. Yeah. So I, bravo. I can't wait. I mean, tomorrow I, we are starting with like placing all the the glass stones on the mask. So you can imagine how I feel right now that I can't wait to be there in Miami. Like the day before Christmas, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. And for everyone who's listening again, we're going to get, um, we're going to, Alexander's going to probably share with us as much as he can. And we'll put a lot of stuff online. So people, when you listen to Alexander walk you through his, his ideas and what he created, you can also click through and see the images as well. Fantastic. So Fantastic. thanks very much, Alexander. Thank you so much. Good luck. Much, and thanks, John. thanks for giving us this time. I know you've been very busy and I appreciate your time. It is thanks a pleasure. Much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye.
So as Alexander Arce had just explained, as his Hexagon Gardens project was progressing, there was some amazing synchronicity happening between the artist and the team at Balmain. Arce combined his Web3 recreation of the Villa Balmain with Bees and Jewels, and both of these have deep associations with the House of Balmain. Ever since the late 1940s, the symbol of the bee, often set within a circle, was a favorite design for Pierre Balmain's fine jewelry creations. And the designer also incorporated that same image for his own personal ex libris bookmark. For example, all of the books filling up the house's enormous archives have been marked by this symbol. In addition, many of Pierre Balmain's couture offerings incorporated the precise, geometrical, and eye-catching hexagonal pattern of the honeycomb. And after 1960, after Pierre Balmain and Leonardo Ricci had completed their creation on the Isle of Elba, bees took on an even more important role in the life of Pierre Balmain. For those of you who have actually studied their school textbooks, you might remember that Elba had one very famous resident who lived there long before Pierre Balmain ever arrived. More than 150 years before Pierre Balmain moved into Villa Balmain, Napoleon Bonaparte had been forced into exile on the Isle of Elba by the coalition of all the great European powers who had fought so long against him before finally defeating him in 1814. So after that defeat, the great French emperor, who had ruled over so much of Western Europe, had to sign the Treaty of Fontainebleau. That treaty called on him to surrender all his claims on all those hard-won territories and instead agree to become the emperor of just the 12,000 people who inhabited the Isle of Elba. And Napoleon only actually ruled over Elba just for a short time. He was on the island for roughly 300 days before he set off again on his famous march to try to reclaim his old glory and all those lands. And he ultimately was defeated in Napoleon's final defeat in the Battle of Waterloo in Belgium. So why are we talking about Napoleon? Because during his brief forced exile on the island, when he was the emperor of this short-lived, teensy-tiny little principality of Elba, Napoleon actually accomplished quite a few things. He created a small navy and army. He developed the island's mines. He oversaw the construction of new roads. He issued decrees on new modern agricultural methods. And he overhauled the island's legal and educational system. And he also introduced a new coat of arms. He designed a flag and a whole set of new icons for the island that he was ruling. And all of these were based on Napoleon's long fascination with the symbol of the bee. Because back in Napoleon's time, many still believed the old legends about bees never sleeping. And because of those legends, bees had come to be the symbols of vigilance and zeal. And those were both attributes that Napoleon was happy to assign to himself. And while he was rising to power, when he was seeking an appropriate emblem to help legitimize his role as France's new emperor, Napoleon looked to one of his great heroes, the Emperor Charlemagne. Charlemagne had adopted the cicada as an emblem, and legend has it that Napoleon actually mistook Charlemagne's cicada outline for that of a bee, and by combining that mistake with the conventional symbolism associated with the bee, well, it meant that Napoleon had found a symbol, which he reproduced often. So the next time you run across one of the famous portraits of Napoleon as a rich red coronation robe, Look closely, and you'll see that it's covered with multiple golden embroidered bees. And to this day, it's easy to run across the symbols that Napoleon created for Elba. They're all over the island. 
Napoleon's flags and emblems relied on a white background that's crossed by a single red band, and it's decorated by three golden bees. That fascinating and graphic pattern remains an important emblem of Elba still today. It decorates the island's flags, the coat of arms, and many of its public spaces. And Pierre Beaumont was sure to spot these symbols whenever he was spending time at Villa Beaumont. And in addition to bees, Alexander Arrochea also focuses on precious stones for his hexagon gardens creations. Obviously because of their dazzling shapes, brilliance, and tones, gems and pearls have always provided inspiration for Parisian couture designers, and Pierre Beaumont was no exception. His love for rich and sparkling stones can be witnessed not only in his jewelry creations, you can also see it in the many gemstone names that Beaumont selected for his evening designs, including offerings entitled Sapphire, Ruby, Emerald, Onyx, Black Diamond, and Ocean Pearl. In addition, gemstones also have a particularly strong connection to Elba. Maybe you remember that just a couple minutes ago, I mentioned that Napoleon established mines on the island. That's because Elba is known for possessing an extraordinary richness in gemstones, including quartz, hematite, tourmaline, pyrite, azurite, and malachite. So combining his takes on bees, gems, and Villa Balmain, Alexander Arrochea's Hexagon Gardens will be an exhibit in Super Bowl Miami on December 1st and December 2nd of 2022. Super Bowl Miami is located at 110 Northwest 23rd Street in Miami. And a thanks to Super Bowl Miami for all their assistance in putting together this podcast episode. And we'd also like to thank the many other partners of this exhibit, Swarovski, Lito, Mint NFT, and XRP Ledger. And a very big thanks to the Balmain team, particularly Martha Hernandez, Amanda Ramirez, Marie Vallot, and Julia Guillon for their help in pulling together all the historical information that we needed. And of course, the very biggest thanks to Alexander Arachea for walking us through his inspirations and his one-of-a-kind creation, Hexagon Gardens. <laughs>